Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Some people mistakenly think that we can dispense with the Old Testament. We don't really need that as long as we've got the New Testament. And some would even say we could dispense with most of that. Just give us the red letters. Just give us, you know, the words of Jesus and we'll be fine. But anybody who thinks that or says anything like that doesn't realize that this is one book. And it is so closely knit together. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Genesis chapter 22 in a message titled, Abraham the Prophet. Now, here's Pastor Brian. All right, chapter 22. Throughout Abraham's life, God progressively drew him deeper and deeper into fellowship with himself. It began, of course, with God drawing him out of the world, if you will, drawing him away from his nation and actually even away from his family members. And then the Lord drew him into the covenant. We saw that in chapter 15. And now as we come to chapter 22, God is going to draw Abraham into the deepest aspect of fellowship known as the fellowship of his suffering. You remember perhaps what Paul said in writing to the Philippians. He said that his great objective was to know Christ, to be conformed to his image, to be conformed to his suffering even. And knowing that there was a depth of communion that was there in that place. And that's really the place that the Lord is drawing Abraham to as we come now to this 22nd chapter. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, 
God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemy. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Quite a story, one that we are, I think, most of us familiar with, but it's a story that is a bit puzzling in a number of ways. One of the ways that it's puzzling is God speaks as though he didn't really know where Abraham's heart was. God speaks as though he learned something through the response of Abraham. But we know that that can't really be the case because, of course, we know God is omniscient. Many Passages in the Bible tell us that he is omniscient, meaning that he knows all things always, at all times. God cannot learn anything new. But yet he speaks in human language for our benefit. God tested Abraham not so he could see Abraham's faith, but so we could see Abraham's faith. You see, Abraham was known as a man of faith, but how could we know that he was really a man of faith? What could we point to? And of course, this becomes the the thing that lets us know and has let all people know since then the extent of his faith. So this test was not so much to produce faith as it was to reveal faith. Now, the other thing that has happened in regard to this story is that many people have misunderstood God's intent here. 
And through that misunderstanding, many have been led to falsely accuse God. And in response to this story, some would say, well, how could God be so cruel as to require Abraham to offer up his son? And there have been many blasphemous kinds of things spoken about God or or toward God because of a misunderstanding of what it is that's actually going on here. So we need to have a correct understanding of what this whole event was about. We need to realize, first of all, two things. Number one, know this. God never intended Abraham to actually offer Isaac. It was never part of the plan. What Abraham did was something completely unique in God's redemptive history, given for a specific purpose, once for all fulfilled. God has never since, nor would ever again, direct someone to do something like this. That's important that we know that. But never since or never again would he, because there was something very, very specific that God was doing here. So that's the first thing we need to understand. God never intended Abraham to actually offer Isaac. The second thing we need to understand is that Abraham was a prophet. Now, remember, in our last study, God spoke of Abraham as a prophet. Now, how was it that he was a prophet? We don't necessarily have any prophecies, verbal prophecies recorded that are attributed to Abraham, but God declared specifically that Abraham was a prophet and he was a prophet through his life. You see, God didn't only speak prophetically through verbal communication. God would often speak prophetically to the people through different scenarios that that his servants would sort of, you know, live through. And this is a case in point here. You see, in this particular instance, Abraham and Isaac were unknowingly playing the roles of another father and son who would offer a sacrifice for sin. And that's really what's going on here more than anything else. Now, of course, there is the element of God. He's testing Abraham. He's wanting all to see what a, a man of faith looks like. Abraham's going through a definite time of testing because, of course, he didn't know the end of the story like we do. He had to live through it. And... I think we'll see after everything transpires, Abraham, I believe, realized that he had been role-playing, if you will. He had been acting out the part of the father in this great redemptive saga. So we've got to remember that. 
Abraham was a prophet. Now, there are many things, many interesting things that stand out that connect us with another event that happens much later in history. But let's kind of go back through the chapter and look at some of the things that stand out here. Notice, first of all, in verse two, God speaks and he says, take now your son, your only son. Take now your son, your only son. Now, we know that Abraham had two sons. Of course, you remember Ishmael was also uh, the son of Abraham, but we pointed out how because Ishmael was a, a product of the flesh rather than a work of the spirit, God didn't really acknowledge him. But now God is singling out Isaac, and he says this over and over again, your son, your only son, Isaac. Does that remind you of another place where that same terminology is used? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It's the same terminology. So God is intentionally using these terms. Now, listen to this. Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Now, that might not be all that profound on the one hand, but I think it's incredibly significant when you realize that this is the first time in all of the Bible that the word love appears. That's pretty amazing when you think that there's been approximately 2,000 years of human history that's already transpired. And although we don't have a, you know, a, a ton of detail on the various things that happened within that 2,000-year period, it's interesting to me. I think it's very significant that the word love has not yet occurred. You would think that it would have perhaps occurred in regard to Adam and the relationship that he had with his wife, Eve. You might think that it would have come up in, um, you know, the dealings with Noah and, and his wife, perhaps. But the word love is reserved for this moment to be inserted into the word of God. And the thing that to me is so fascinating is it's speaking of the love between a father and a son. That is amazing. That's where the word first appears, in the context of the love between a father and a son. And then he says to him, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Now, this place, Moriah, is mentioned only one other place in all of Scripture. It's only two times in Scripture that Moriah is mentioned. It is mentioned in 2 Chronicles chapter 3, and it says this, Now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David. So here we see another interesting thing. 
Abraham is to journey and he is to go to the mountains of Moriah, to a specific place that God would show him. And that would be the place that he was to offer up Isaac. The very place where Solomon would later build the temple. But there's even more to it than that. But as we follow along, look in verse four. There was a three-day journey. Three days comes up in the New Testament often, doesn't it? In relation, of course, to Jesus. And then did you notice also that when they come to the mountain that Abraham in verse six, he lays the wood upon his son Isaac. And Isaac is the one who carries the wood to the place of sacrifice. So as we look at these things, we begin to see that there is a picture that is emerging, that there is actually another story that is being told here. And as we would then project out 2,000 years from this point, we would find, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of the Father, bearing his cross to the very tip of Mount Moriah. This is where, you know, Bible study becomes so absolutely fascinating. When you start to connect all of the dots, when you start to see how interwoven the scriptures are, You know, some people mistakenly think that, oh, you know, we can dispense with the Old Testament. We don't really need that as long as we've got um, the New Testament. And some would even say we could dispense with most of that. Just give us the red letters. Just give us, you know, the words of Jesus and we'll be fine. But anybody who thinks that or, or says anything like that doesn't realize that this is one book. And it is so closely knit together. And here we are in the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and we're actually reading in sort of a cryptic kind of a way, we're reading about God the Father and God the Son and the sacrifice that would take place. You see, this is why Jesus could say to the Pharisees, he said, you search the scriptures because In them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me. Jesus said the scriptures testify of me. And one of the most fascinating studies that anyone could ever embark on is to just get into the Old Testament. Of course, that's what Jesus was referring to when he said the scriptures testify of me. And see if you can find all of the places where Christ emerges in the Old Testament. It's so fascinating, but here it is. And to me, the the details are just absolutely astounding. All of these little kinds of things, the wood being placed upon the shoulders of Isaac, the three 
day journey. Remember, Jesus said, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected and be killed and be raised the third day. And so here we have that reference. Hebrews chapter 11 is, of course, the chapter that is expounding on the faith of the Old Testament saints. And there in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, the author speaks of this particular event in the life of Abraham. And this is what he says. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his one and only son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So the inspired author of Hebrews tells us something about Abraham that is not revealed to us in the Genesis account. It tells us that Abraham had settled in his heart that God would raise Isaac from the dead. And then he says, and he, in a figurative sense, received him back from the dead. But it was after that three-day period, after that three-day journey. So in Abraham's mind, can you imagine what it must have been like, the conflict that he must have gone through trying to really sort through How is it that God told me this on the one hand, and now he's telling me this on the other hand? Isaac's not yet married. He has no children. God's telling me to offer him up as a sacrifice. I mean, he would have obviously been tempted to think, wait, I'm not hearing the Lord. This couldn't be the Lord telling me this. But obviously, he was very convinced that it was God, and it was indeed God. But you know, I would imagine that as Abraham traveled those three days, there probably wasn't a lot of conversation because he was probably in his mind just trying to work through this whole thing. Now, Lord, how does this work? Because here's Isaac. You told me he's the heir. Now you're telling me to offer him. How are you going to pull this off? How are we going to get those descendants that you told me about? And as he reasoned through it, this is the conclusion that he drew. Well, God will just have to raise Isaac from the dead. Now, nobody had ever been raised from the dead at this point, but Abraham reasoned through the whole thing, and that's the conclusion that he came to. And he was right. (laughs) Not about Isaac. God had a different plan, but he was right about, of course, Christ. When we go through seasons of testing, you know, sometimes it's not just the the particular thing that we're in the midst of that's so troubling. I mean, that's certainly part of it. But the other part is trying to figure out what is actually going on. What is God doing? How could this have happened?
For the month of November, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled A Non-Anxious Presence, How a Changing and Complex World Will Create a Remnant of Renewed Christian Leaders by Mark Sayers. According to Sayers, we're living in between two eras, an era that is passing away and an era that is not fully formed. This has created a context of confusion, stemming from the influences of both the passing and forming eras. He calls this time the gray zone. It is a time in which we are living that has caused a cultural mood of anxiety, which has the ability to paralyze rather than prosper. We not only live in an anxiety-infected culture, but many have become anxious presence themselves. So in his book, A Non-Anxious Presence, Mark Sayers explains how to identify, navigate, and adapt to this gray zone phase of global culture. He argues that the only solution for an anxious presence is the presence of God himself. This book will give you a personal awareness of the times in which we live and help you develop a non-anxious presence. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order A Non-Anxious Presence, How a Changing and Complex World Will Create a Remnant of Renewed Christian Leaders by Mark Sayers. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.